Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight. And joining me as ever from across the pond, he's the statesman to my Kingsman, it's John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Matt. How are you on this Tuesday afternoon when we're recording this, of course? It, evening for me, John. Come on. Oh, that's um, right. Not so bad, my friend. I, um, for for, for, a, for a, uh, an anecdote, which I'll save for later, I felt mildly sunburned, even though it's only been about 58 degrees over here, Fahrenheit. But oh, um, wow. that aside, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm okay, my friend. I'm not doing too bad, but, you know, plugging away as, as ever. But uh, what about you, stateside? Uh, well, we're, we're soaking here in Florida. It has been raining for like the last three days, um, which my dog has uh, very bad PTSD from the hurricanes from a few years ago. So mm-hmm. lightning really freaks him out. And even just the sound of rain freaks him out. But like, so it's been raining at night and my wife has been, it's almost like we have a newborn. She's been like up all night with the baby, but it's the dog who's just freaking out about the weather. Um, and we, you know, we have a nerve pill for him. Like that's supposed to help him calm down, but it, it honestly does not seem to do anything at this point. Okay. Um, so the poor guy just suffers when it's storming and it has been pretty much, it hasn't been lightning every day, but again, it's even just the sound of the rain freaks him out. So it's, it's been a couple of rough days for our pup. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we're, we're used to the rain here in Florida. It has been a lot though. Yep. Right. Well, as long as you're okay, mate, that's the main thing. And you're keeping Florida, uh, ticking over, but, um, that is us. And this is the show, the bloody awesome movie podcast. If you're new to the show, firstly, hello, welcome. Uh, on this show, we talk about usually the biggest uh, film release of the week. Usually we'd say cinematic, but in this world, you know, theatrical streaming. Uh, and we talk about it in a non-spoiler fashion. Every now and then we dive into the world of documentaries, especially in this pandemic world we live in. That's what we've done for this week's episode. We have covered uh, Netflix's Coded Bias, which was directed by uh, Shalini Kantaya who also wrote it with um, a story consultant credit for Christopher Selwood. It features Joy Buolamwini, I think I got that, Meredith Broussard, Kathy O'Neill, Silky Carlo, and a bunch of others. IMDb gives the synopsis as, uh, when MIT Media Lab researcher Joy discovers that facial recognition does not see dark-skinned faces accurately, she embarks on a journey to push for the first ever US legislation against bias in algorithms that impacts us all. Uh, critically, on Rotten Tomatoes, 100% from about, I think it's like 40-something reviews, 100%. Metascore rated as 73, and 6.7 on the IMDb user score. And as mentioned up top, this is internationally available on Netflix. Uh, I think it was had a festival run last year, but it's now being bought to the to the world's eyes in 2021. So a couple, a couple, about a month or so ago it was out. It's, you know, recent enough. So, obviously, it's a documentary. So, we don't give spoilers. Obviously, we're not going to spoil anything like that comes from this. But the synopsis there, that's what it's about. Basically, uh, this lab researcher, Joy, uncovers uh, the fact that AI, artificial intelligence, and facial recognition systems, which seem to be everywhere, even though you don't know it sometimes, 
they cannot they can't identify dark skinned uh, people or, or women with a high level of accuracy. So that of course can will and does lead to human issues. Uh, and as if you've seen by the trailer, she finds a way around that, which won't come as a surprise to a lot of people how they can bypass that. And that's what a lot of this uh, documentary is based upon. And it asks a lot of questions. Uh, and I found this documentary, I thought it was firstly, I thought it was really very good. That's what I'm going to say up top. I thought this was really very good. It's only an hour and a half, but I thought it was, it's very thought provoking. It, get it will pass if it will get an emotion out of you it'll evoke something out of you certainly one or two moments from it and it gets the questions going will ai ever be perfect are we as a species as a society we live in a society with ai are we ready for it like truly are we ready for it do we understand the full implications of ai when it would so seem that ai can't understand itself that the what it some of the um, examples within the documentary change people's lives because of mistaken identity, for example. You know, that because of something we're meant to rely on, which, you know, had to, to begin with, were championed. But as mm. it's evolved, you know, the question is, is this illegal? Is this legal? You know, corporations are running with this. They're, they're unchecked. You know, there's no maintenance or governance for them. It, the privacy that of our lives as being uh we're told by the documentary is under threat democracy is in danger we're told by the documentary there's some heavy stuff going on here dude in this and it's like Mm -hmm. how is data channeled and what happens if it's misused and the problem with these algorithms or when you feed a machine algorithms based on historical data you know is it going to give you the results that you want or is it actually giving us the results that they want I found this to be quite a thought-provoking documentary, man. And like I said, we don't spoil, so I don't want to go to too many, for me anyway, specifics. But I took a lot of questions out of this, man. And you know what? I I really I really quite thought this was a very good documentary. But what did you think? I also thought it was a really good documentary. Um, I did find the first part to be a little above my, my head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like technical terms and... Um, more more or less about like the development of the thing. Not that I didn't enjoy, it, but I was definitely like, okay, wow, this is this is outside of my uh, my realm of of interest. But then when it goes more into the human side of what happens when the algorithms are are being biased and when the coding is basically actively targeting minority groups and, and people um, with the facial recognition software and all of that, that really clicked and. There's a sequence, um, honestly, I, I, I feel like I am, it, it felt so sci-fi that I wasn't sure if what they were showing was based on what was actually happening in China right mm-hmm. now, or if that was all like hypothetical. I think it was meant to be more hypothetical or like what the future could look like. But the, the thing that threw me was the voiceover of the, um, the Chinese woman. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's, you know, she is speaking Chinese is subtitled and, her being an advocate for this new like facial uh, recognition software that is rating like people and society, like that whole sequence was so, um, you know, like a dystopian society. It was horrifying. And I, I'm not like, I'm not one of those people that are super uh, paranoid about 
my information. Like I am aware that my information is on way too many platforms at this point. There's no getting it back. Right. Like I've been, I was on MySpace early. I was on Facebook early. Yep. Um, so I, yeah. And I, I mean, gosh, I've logged into so many things and I, I was an early adopter of smartphones. So like my fingerprints have been given to my phones, my voices, you know, Alexa knows when I'm talking to her, I'm not talking to you right now. Oh, um, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, it's all around us. Um, so, you know, I am already kind of ingrained in it and yet found so much of this to be horrifying and kind of like, Oh, have we gone too far already? You know, um, it almost brings up like the fight club twist of like, do you want everything reset to zero because we've gotten so far in the other direction that maybe the only way to, mm-hmm. to erase this is to start over. And, um, it, it's scary when you see some of the, the sequences of people being targeted, um, I, I also found it really interesting um, because it was worldwide. It wasn't just centered in America. Like there was a whole sequence in London and them fighting it there. And like the, the sequence with the guy who co- got um, hassled by the police because he covered up his face when he was walking past the cameras. Like mm-hmm. all yeah. of that I, I found really, uh, again, dystopian. It has like, you know, rings of 1984, and the, you know, the thought police and people, you know, watching your, your every move and expression and, um, and then of course the inaccuracies of it and the, the mm. inherent bias that's built into all of it. It's, it's eye opening. Um, it's also, it's gotta be one of the fastest turnarounds of a documentary, right? Cause like the trial that's Dude. depicted is from like the summer of 2020 it's that one. We, we, we covered a, uh, I mentioned a COVID documentary at the end of last year. That came yeah. that came around very quickly as well. So between this and that, you know, they've really pumped some of these things out. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like crazy to see uh, the turnaround. I mean, obviously it helps with digital editing, being able to have multiple people working on it across the, the globe now because you can upload files and share things. And uh, you're probably, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this was filmed from, from phones and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah the turnaround with digital is just in, incredible um, and again for it to be well constructed um, I, I haven't read any full articles but I was glimpsing like segments of different articles trying to find out if, if I misinterpreted that the Chinese sequence or whatever but um, you know there, apparently there's a lot of footage left out that they could easily turn into even more of like an AI you know documentary specifically on just artificial intelligence because yeah, yeah. it, it starts there but it, it really focuses more on the bias by the end of it it's like this is how it's coded but look at how it can the the ramifications that could exist in the world if this is allowed to be um everywhere and like there was stuff about like amazon and things that i had heard in the news yeah and that was really like kind of crazy to hear it in the documentary because i'm like oh i actually knew this stuff and it didn't feel like it was six seven months ago it felt like i just heard it because time is a construct that has been you know shattered thanks to covid exactly um so yeah, it, it's, it's a documentary that I think everyone should definitely check out. Um, you, you can see, I think the, the IMDb user score reflects more or less the beginning of the movie. I think that beginning part is so technical that it. I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. I, I mean, and not in a bad way. I think it needs to be there, but I also think it's going to, it's going to lose some people because it's just like, wow, this is way over my, my level of, of interest in science. Like mm-hmm. it's not for me, but the human part of it really like, the the human impact of the the subject matter really landed for me. I I teared up a couple of times, which yeah. you know this isn't well, a documentary. I mean, it makes I feel you feel like, something. 
Right. It, it really resonates. It's not like there's obviously documentaries that have made me cry before, but those are usually like about someone who died or about like this, you know, devastating. This is like, this is devastating, but I still wasn't expecting a movie, a movie about like, you know, algorithms and, and facial recognition software and AI to hit an emotional beat like it did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, as you say, it starts off, it, it does start off very deep in what it's trying to tell you, but it gets it out of the way fairly, at a fairly quick pace. Mm-hmm. As the film goes on, it, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say layman's terms, but fairly complicated processes and um, system processes that are defined and explained in a way that the people who are watching this, who have no idea about coded algorithms and whatnot, will be able to understand. So, I think they kind of swung for both fences. They didn't want to come across as they were simplifying it, but I don't think they wanted to come across that they were, you know, that, that they, this wasn't going to be uh, compatible for everyone. And I think, like, like you said, I think at the beginning, either they wanted to dump all that big heavy stuff at the beginning and then lead on with the other stuff, or it was just a tonal mishap that, you know, it it just happens sometimes. But I, I, I agree though, dude, like I said up top, it makes it, there, there are moments in this which make you feel something. And as you said, it it, it it caught the tears from yourself. And this is what it is. It's some, it, because it's playing with people's livelihoods, man. And like mm-hmm. the the future, it's people's. It's the future of of that of the world that we live in. C- could potentially rest on you know, AI. AI is has the potential to be all powerful. And I don't literally mean like you know K two S O robots walking around enslaving us. But the, the potential is limitless. But at the minute, as we've been seen, if you are uh, a darker skinned person or a woman, you know, what's the, what, yeah, you, 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 you want to watch out, as this documentary says. And people might be listening saying, what does that mean? Again, just watch it. There are examples in it where by falling into one of those categories, you are immediately um, handicapped because of it. Um, and of course, as, as we know, in most court, uh, walks of life, that is the case anyway, so is it at the minute, and we're all fighting to overcome that. But I thought this documentary, like I said, was hard-hitting, thought-provoking. For those listening who've heard us say that it begins quite quite heavily, it don't, you know, don't that doesn't reflect the entirety of the documentary. It nope. settles into its own rhythm later on, as it, quite quickly, and it becomes something which is emotional. But I still found it like effortlessly watchable i was never bored mm-hmm. watching it or anything like that no i still found it easy to watch though man which is what i want from a documentary yeah and even the the technical stuff i think is necessary um because i do think it kind of showcases that the, the people who are talking about this know what they're talking about yeah, right they like don't understand what you're talking about yeah yeah like these aren't just people who like have a cursory reading of this like no they they're the ones who are also involved in programming it and utilizing it and and so they know what they're talking about they they've experienced it from that side it wasn't just like oh i i couldn't get my phone to open like no no this is much more on the cutting edge of of what could be and then them realizing this inherent bias that's built into the system yeah yeah so um i'm guessing i'm guessing you would uh, recommend people check it out yep and i in fact have i've i've messaged a few friends yeah, that i know are into this kind of thing and we're like you need to check this stock out it's it's really good Yep. And John has been on, John is on a documentary binge this year and he's also getting me on board. He's been saying he's going to make me watch more. And every time you make me watch one or have me watch one, I always enjoy, I always get something out of it. And this one, especially, I really did 
like this one. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up from me as well. Go check it out. And um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you reacted to what is becoming like a very kind of strange, real, uh, I don't want to say threat, but something something that's going to affect us all by the end of it, for better or worse. So, um, Anything else to add on Coded Bias there, mate? Nope, that's all I got for Coded Bias. Coded from Coded Bias. We're going to move on then to our next regular segment, simply called Chuffed Headlines. Uh, And it's a segment where John and myself, we uh, scour the internet or social media for a movie or pop culture headline that caught our attention for one of many reasons. So, John... What have you gone for this week? Well, I, I had my eye, uh, I guess, towards technology with Coded Bias. Um, this headline caught my attention immediately, and I was I was concerned. Um, if you recall, in the movie Rogue One that you recently did a uh, um, Star Wars session, I think, live uh, viewing uh, along. Um, there, there was a big debate when that movie came out about using dead actors images in movies. And we have Peter yes. Cushing show up in rogue one and a very young princess Leia shows up mm-hmm. in rogue one. Um, and it started a, a debate and there was even conversation. Um, I, I don't, I feel like James Dean was cast yes. in a movie right after James that. Dean. And they, they, I think it got dropped. I've never heard anything else about it. So I'm assuming it never happened. But this uh, and now we also have the deep fake technology where we've seen like, you know, actors put into other shows and stuff like that. It's getting a little scary. Like the, the uncanny valley is is shattering. Mm-hmm. This is this is the commercialization of it. That the the premise is this is a BBC article, how product placements may soon be added to classic films. And oh, this wow. is even easier to do because it, it it's you know, the studios own the films, so they don't have to get permission from like, you know, the, the estates of all the different actors because they already have the rights to these films, but they can get contracts with modern day advertisers and insert product placements into the films digitally. Um, and this is so concerning Mm -hmm. to me. Um, we've already seen the, the abundance of product placement in many, many films. And yes, it has helped movies to get financed. And that's usually the only time I can justify a product placement is that this movie wouldn't have been made if not for the products that are paying for the 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 budget. But the movie that's already out getting advertisements in it, uh, especially Mm -hmm. if they are subliminally placed or think of how that can misconstrue historical context for like a young person who's watching this movie for the first time. And Oh, look, there's a Fortnite advertisement in the background of the great escape or, you know, like it could totally shatter the context of the film. And we already talk about like the victors change the history books. We start changing films that are fictional. Sure. But mm-hmm. still convey a sense of the time that they were made by bastardizing them for, for a new profit, right? Like you're already making money on the sale of the film. But now you're going to make money on the advertisements. Like, imagine how much Pepsi might pay to be put into Gone with the Wind. Maybe not Gone Dude. with the Wind now, but before. You know, like, there's so many. This is such a slippery slope that I really hope this does not become a thing. Um, the article showcases a few, like, how easy it would be. It could even be done to make it look like it was historically accurate. Like, it wouldn't have to be just this glaring, you know, item that doesn't look correct. But if you were to do any research you would find the anachronisms of that. But um, 
like the they reference maybe like Casablanca having its Rick's Cafe, so maybe they have like a Michelob sign or you know the the idea of this is outrageous, and I I hope it doesn't happen. But no, I agree. I, I mean, what are they going to do next? Go go to Wayne's World and put Pepsi and Pizza Hut, Doritos, Reebok product placement in? Who would have thought? No, I think it's I think it's a problem, mate. I generally think it's ridiculous. I mean. Uh, yes, whilst the James Dean, uh, well, it wasn't a rumor. His 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 estate, his family were fully supportive of, it, of this. But that has I've just been doing a quick bit of googling. That's you know, since twenty nineteen, nobody's spoken about it. I don't think that's a, a a result of COVID either. It just seems to have been quietly shelved. I think um, I don't. I'm not up for that. You, you like the the something like Peter Cushing in Rogue One or. Digitally, well, this is I believe uh, Carrie was still alive if she was when she was digitally recreated for that scene. Um, but for in terms of Peter Cushing, yes, his estate was behind it, but it did open up a lot of ethical questions about is this right? In James Dean case, he was going to be actually recast, and I don't think that's I think that's terrible to go back and in, into classic films and product placement. Is there anything people won't do for a quick buck? Do you know what I mean? I mean yeah. At what point do we stop? We're talking about AI exactly, and like this overarching horror, like deadly decisions to me. And people might think well, that's an over over exaggeration. But it's not though. Why? I mean, we we all laugh at George Lucas for tampering with his own films, putting CGI in, but going back and tampering with somebody else's work, and and putting product placement in just so you can, as a studio, reap the benefits of something that may have come out forty, fifty years before your time. Doesn't seem right, man. It doesn't seem right, and and. I don't, I don't like it, and, I, uh, and if the people behind it could come up with a convincing argument for it, then listen, but I just don't see who sits in a room and comes up with this. Can you imagine the, the pitch meeting for this, man? Yeah, not at all. Like, I, I, I just, like, there has to be, I, I guess the word sacred gets tossed around maybe too frequently, but, like, does Hollywood hold nothing sacred? Like, there has mm-hmm. to be gosh, you, you have to cherish what they were. Like, you can't just yep. alter the history of cinema. Like, I have to imagine voices like Scorsese and, and Spielberg will, will fight this, though, like... Of course. I um, certainly hope so. I, I, I just can't imagine, like, because they're not known for their product placement. Of course, they both have them. I mean, obviously, E.T., yep. Reese's <laughs> pieces, you know. Oh, but, yes. But th- those were always so organic by comparison to, like, Michael Bay's blatant, like, commercials built into the Transformers. Power especially. Rangers. Yeah. Oh man, the Krispy Kreme donuts. Krispy like, Kreme. Yeah. Um, like those. Those get brutal. Like uh, again, I don't mind one that feels somewhat organic or natural to the story because, like, it, it it makes us feel like they're people that we can relate to because they of use course. the same products that we use. Sure, but and I'm obviously I, I know that we can fall for the marketing because of that, but at least there it was it was done with intention. Now you could be changing someone's. I mean, like, imagine, like, Psycho, like, she's using, like, suave shampoo or, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, it's, it's it's like, we, we joke, but you, you, you can sadly imagine it. You really can. Like, I mean, there's just so many things that you could just, you 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 change the intent uh, of, of an artist's work by doing that. Like, I mean, I, I just can't imagine, like, you, you would never hear this about, like, paintings, right? Like, they're not going to just, like, start... Adding and it would be very easy to add something to a painting. I can Photoshop Mona Lisa's smile. Yeah, yeah. She's maybe she's smoking uh cool cigarettes or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, like exactly, yeah. 
it'd be it'd be relatively easy to do that. Even again, even if you were like painting, like scanning it in and printing out a new, not even altering the original, you could do that. And obviously, people have done it for like gags and like pranks and stuff like that. But no, no, it's not hanging in a museum as the art. And that's yeah, what yeah. this seems to imply that like you would just have like a new Criterion print and it would have this like altered thing or you know on now on netflix and like netflix is selling every movie like they just have like green screen you know added advertisements or something like it, it's uh it's nightmarish i i just i don't want that to become a thing um you know product placement in the film that's being made with the intent with the approval of the filmmaker especially even again even if you don't agree with it at least the filmmaker is getting to say yeah there's some integrity to that like michael bay knows he's selling his soul for his transformers movies like he's he's aware of the fact that victoria's secret is going to have a bus explode and still somehow the victoria's secret logo stand up despite it or that his main uh, character is going to pop open a bud light and hold it to the camera and drink it like it's in a commercial he <laughs> and he he agreed to that so of course yep. yeah but you know that going retroactive that that just ups, that bothers me unbelievably no uh, yeah uh, exactly if the filmmaker turns around and says you know what i'm more than happy to do that or i wish i could have had that in my time do it who i'm not going to argue doesn't mean necessarily agree with it but like you say it, it, it's such a common thing now in in modern day film that it's probably only inevitable that they try for the older films but i certainly hope it's not um pushed through well well my headline my friend is um a little bit it has a bit more levity to it, but um, it's the elder version of Tom Holland, uh, Alfred Molina. And by that, I mean, he's been talking about Spider-Man as Tom Holland does. And he's given uh, away. Have you seen this or heard of this? I did hear uh, this was all over my Instagram the other day uh, because it was basically like we said, there was a lot of like Kevin Feige memes of being annoyed at, at him kind of thing. Yep. Oh, okay, yeah. I was about to say, I just, I just realised, hold on, are you spoiler-phobic? Because it's not actually a spoiler. I don't think this is a spoiler. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Um... Okay, yeah. Well, the, the, the headline reads, uh, Spider-Man No Way Homes Doc Ock confirmed to be the Spider-Man 2 version. So we knew that Doc Ock was coming back. Alfred Molina had confirmed it and it had been confirmed. But he's, he's now confirmed to be the version from the Sam Raimi films, the superior films, at me sorry john um but yeah he's going to be the same version so the one that we saw die in spider-man 2 is um coming back for this one now but, it's been a while since i watched spider-man 2 yeah and i guess technically spoiler for spider-man 2 everybody because matt just said what happens but if i'm not mistaken his his uh power source mm-hmm. explodes or whatever and he goes down with it like he takes it yep. into the water right because we don't see the body do we I'm guessing that that's what maybe opens the multiverse. Uh, there's a there's a potential there, so uh, and that it's it's got to be that because I guess yeah, I mean in, in the in the river, he basically Alfred Miller said it picks up from that scene in the river, in the water. Um, I like you say we don't. He goes down with it, but we don't see the body and whatnot now. Or so there's that side of it, but. Um, so that is a story. We know Ele- Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro, but it is the idea that. Alfred Molina is coming back. I don't think anyone had any doubt that he'd be playing the Spider-Man 2 version because it would be quite odd if he wasn't. I know they, they can recast an actor who was great in the role and have him, you know, do it in a different universe. But uh, JJ, I yeah. mean, uh, JJ to Jameson to be exact. I'm sorry. It, um, it, it, yeah. I was going to say, the thing about, the thing about him is he's like, he's, he embodies that character so well as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, with Doc Ock, 
look, you could probably recast Doc Ock and have get someone great. J. Jonah Jameson, man. I mean, they've, they've tried. Who was who was J. Jonah Jameson in uh, Justice League? Oh, he wouldn't be in Justice League because that's not DC. Justice, not Justice League. Um, <laughs> sorry, the most recent. Um, there was a Marvel release recently that had him in. Oh, it's um, it's J.K. Simmons. That's what I'm saying. They recast him in, in Spider-Man: Far From Home. He shows up at the very end of the movie on the. I was Jumbo thinking track. about Detective Gordon in Justice League, and he is that me. Too. exactly. That's what I've got. I was like J.K. Simmons is in my mind. They, they never movie. the Amazing Spider-Man, the Garfield movies never had a J.J. Um, they That's never right. got so, that far I, into the, the, the lore, which is I apologise to all the Marvel and Spider-Man stands out there for my uh, faux pas there. But um, yeah, I I like the fact that he's coming back and it's confirmed to be the Spider-Man 2 villain because uh, you know how much I like that film. I think he's great in the role. And like you say, is this what's going to be part of unleashing the multiverse, which we know we're seeing? As I mentioned, we're getting Jamie Foxx's Electra back possibly getting Toby and Andrew coming back. Green got Willem Dafoe might be back and Charlie Cox, Daredevil is potentially going to be in there. My, my big fear though, about this film is obviously the ending of far from home was, you know, it was a big old bombshell of an ending. This doesn't feel like it kind of follows on from that to me. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a re how they're all going to tie it in somehow, but mm-hmm. I was so excited by that bombshell. I was like, wow, where do we go from here? And this was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, Unless I'm misreading things here, did you watch Spider-Man: Far From Home and thought, you know what? Yeah, because they're, they're going to introduce the multiverse now. My no, I definitely didn't think that. Obviously, it's in terms of the overall MCU, it will make sense. I think on the grand scale, yeah. I do question how much the success of uh, Into the Spider-Verse is dictating this. It's a good um, show. It feels very much like this is Sony. Even though Marvel's involved, I think Sony Sony still has some input, and yes. Sony had so they much. They still success. own the character, don't they? They still own that the rights to the, the film character, and that's yeah. why we're getting. I think we're pulling like all of the old Sony content that people liked. It sounds like, um, and so I I feel like it might be a reaction to that. Although Feige is such a, a an auteur with this, right? Like to to allow anything to deviate and like we, we were, I was one of the people claiming trust in JJ when they announced that he was going to do rise of Skywalker. I was wrong. Very wrong. Same again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But Feige has yet to do anything drastically that makes me doubt him. Like everyone was real skeptical about WandaVision won us all over. I like what they're doing with Falcon and winter soldier. Mm -hmm. So I'm on board. Loki looks really interesting. Um, and it looks like it's going to start to really tie in to some, at least alternate timeline stuff because of, yeah. uh, of everything. And then, you know, we're getting reports for all these other things that are coming out. I, I'm just, I'm having a hard time doubting the MCU. Like, cause a lot of people, I think after Endgame, um, were like, how, how can you continue? Like it's over. Yeah. You've, you've succeeded. I think he's done a great job so far of, of showing you the ramification. Like Endgame's not forgotten. I mean, both of the TV series are dealing with the ramifications of Endgame, right? Like of yeah, 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 what that meant. And um, that that's really compelling because it, it, they could have just like, okay, next this story's over and says like, no, no, we're going to, we're going to deal with this, but we're also going to start ushering in the next step. Cause that's what you do. You have grief and that's what the shows have felt like, right? Like the grieving period for the MCU. Yeah, which is necessary, I think, as well. 
Yeah, it gives us. I mean, granted, we were supposed to have Black Widow already, and that was yeah. and Eternals, and that was delayed because of COVID, which was not in their plans. But it feels like they've pivoted to adjust for that, and it's mm-hmm. working. So I, you know, I'm not going to sell the short. I do hope that they don't just erase it. However, in the comics, and I, I'm this is I've not read these. This is just what I know through like time of of it being a thing after the Civil War books. At some point during the Civil War, Parker says that I'm Spider-Man. And he's obviously, that's not good for his life. Everybody's trying to kill him. Um, If I remember correctly, I think Doctor Strange casts a spell that makes everyone forget he's Peter Parker. Handy. And if that's right, the the multiverse thing going in, uh, that's kind of been what I've expected to happen. Um, And then Wanda, who has the power to basically change everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, could also have just said not not Parker and everyone forget. So they could wipe Betty away Ellis. what they did. I don't think they'll do that exactly. Like, I don't think it'll be that clean of a sweep right away, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't I be surprised not. if that's the way it goes. I, I think that's a... Because again, I'm not as versed in the comics at all, so to hear that, that makes total sense in regards to what we learned from Far From Home. I, if they go that way, great. I, I just hope it's not early on in that film. I mean, I hope I hope we get to sort of sit with the ramifications of the ending of that film because that's a big that was a big deal. You've got to be, we, we've got the TV series um, focusing on post snap and how the, the superheroes and the world is readjusting. And I think that like, I think that's necessary because for something as seismic as Endgame in terms of everything in universe and in in our world, like something as huge as that. To just move on and just do like, oh, here's these films and here's his series. Oh, they take place after Endgame, but let's not go on about Endgame. I love the fact that they're dwelling on it and it's, there's an impact and there was consequences. Mm-hmm. It makes watching Endgame even more enjoyable now, knowing that, well, actually, we do find out what happened, all the ramifications of all of this. And I dig that. So, yeah, that I like. Um, and uh, yeah, as for the multiverse, oh, I mean, yeah, I like you. I've got no reason to doubt Feige and the team at Marvel. They've never given me a reason to doubt. Even if I don't find every film a 10 out of 10, I'm sure nobody right. does. But the, the the planning and the thought and the, the foresight that's gone into this, that they would have, that they know how they, they've always known how they were going to follow up Far From Home. I'm sure they've always had a plan for it. So I've got no doubt in that. I'm just kind of working out how it's all going to tie in. But what you've just said, it, it would make sense to me, dude. And I am very much looking forward to seeing Alfred Molina come back. Question, Last question for you on that, though, mate, is Alfred Molina is a bit older now. I mean, what, do you think they're going to de-age him or just make some kind of multiverse aging uh, I thing? I feel like I saw something claiming they were going to de-age, but then now I'm wondering. I feel like I might have also saw a claiming that they weren't, so I don't know. Um, it's, it's intriguing uh, one way or the other. I... I haven't watched Spider-Man 2 in a while. Um, I never loved it as much as others. And a big part of it, I I feel collectively until Homecoming, they they were too loosey-goosey with the Spider-Man mask in, in yeah. both Amazing and in the original trilogy with the Sam Raimi trilogy. That And that bugged me so much. The whole, it's one of, many people love the scene of the him saving the train. I hate it because one, they go real hard on the Jesus allegory, which I thought was a bit much. And then mm-hmm. uh, for Spider-Man, like for Spider-Man's like his, I, I don't feel like the books have ever made him that like 
heavy of a hero. Like it's a he's a personal hero. He deals with his personal issues a lot. And what about and the memes that came from it, John? Oh, there's so many good memes of the Tobey Maguire faces <laughs> and stuff. But I, I really disliked how many people would have saw him without a mask in that moment. Yeah. And the, of course, when you you know it's because the filmmakers want you to see the strain on his face, and that's why it's done, and that makes it even feel worse because it's like it's not done for the the world of the story. It's done for you thinking oh, we sick. can't relate to what he's going through if we don't see his face yeah. and frankly I, d- I don't think that's true i think there's plenty of examples where we can relate to a character without seeing their facial expressions um mm-hmm. and of course toby mcguire's are really goofy like just yeah. <laughs> why they're memeable um does have some funny faces doesn't he yeah but so I, my my feelings towards melina are not as strong as others i feel like i might need to rewatch that movie and i i so don't want to uh there's so much <laughs> about- we're all wrong sometimes john is fine yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I just there's something about those that just feel so campy and cheesy. And to be fair, I feel that way about a lot of the the pre MCU Marvel movies. I like. I used to love Blade, and the last time I tried to watch Blade, I was just like, "Man, this is really bad." Like, I it's still it's better than some of the other ones from that time, but it feels of that time. It doesn't feel yeah. like it doesn't age well, and not in like we usually use that phrase to describe like, you know, something racist that doesn't play off. Like it's not mm-hmm. that it just literally feels like it's stuck in the nineties. Like it does yeah. not like up. You can't scale it up to now. It's like, no, no, this is, this is totally revisiting the nineties and not in a, not in a good way. It, it's like, Oh man, we were, especially I guess now, cause we have the quality of films that we've gotten in the superhero genre. Like we have the dark Knight trilogy granted. Really? We have the dark Knight and two movies that are sandwiching it. And, uh, and then you have the MCU and then you, even like the, when you compare like what the Snyder verse did um, compared to a lot of the pre, you know, those early comic book movies, it's still as bad as some of them are. They're still better than a lot of the nineties movies, you know? Um, and it's weird. Cause like the, I, I do think the X-Men ages pretty well, especially X2. I think X2 ages very well, very much so, but Man, uh, the, to me, the Spider-Man movies and the Blade, like the Blade, not, I don't like Blade 2 or 3, to be honest, but the first Blade, I, I watched a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. I loved that movie. I was a big Wesley Snipes fan anyway, and then I, I thought the character was really cool. I didn't, like, he'd been on an episode of the Spider-Man animated series, so that was, like, really my only knowledge of him as a Marvel character, mm-hmm. but... Um, I was really into that movie. Like, especially the martial arts sequences were really cool. I, I like Snipes' humor, Um but again, when I've tried to rewatch it, I'm just like, oh, this just, it just looks cheap. It looks yeah. old and, and not I, in a good way. I don't have nostalgia for that kind of, for certain films from that time. But mm-hmm. um, what, this, what this does do is, in return, talking about multiverses and actually bringing the Spider-Man 2 version of Doc Ock back, it, the characters I mentioned earlier on, it does bring back the possibility that they probably actually, they there's a higher chance now that they will come back following Alfred Molina's tom holland-esque slip because he basically he was the one who said he was in it and now he's the one who said oh yeah by the way i'm playing this character so he's whether he just doesn't get the memo he's uh telling everyone what's happening and kind of getting us all excited for that film but uh, which i'm sure we're all very excited for anyway I, I think people should start using um melina from raiders of the lost ark and then replacing harrison yeah. ford with feige like that whole betrayal <laughs> yes. give me the whip I'm like no haha you know just or, or they could do uh well, they could do Mac from King of the McChrystal Skull. We remember that, and Indy. Remember that? Yeah. No. no? Okay. No. Uh, yeah. Well. Bad. That was Bad a film. Matt. Came um, out 
once. Well, I think that's our, is that our headlines, my friend? Should we move on? Yeah, yeah let's move on. Uh, well, we are going to move on now to uh, media consumption. So we talk about all of the, the films, television series, uh, video games, music, podcasts, which we don't participate in. If anything, comics that we've used to pass the time in the last week. Uh, and John, I always say, has always got a pretty good uh, selection going on. So JB, what you been doing? Well, you know, I listened to the Blank Check podcast, but I actually uh, I had to wait um, because I usually watch the movie in preparation for the podcast and I started the movie and I realized I was not in the mood for it. And I was like, I'll come back to it. And then I never got back to it. So I had to like mm-hmm. wait to listen to my podcast until much later. Um, very good episode of the podcast. They're, they're on the third of four movies from the Elaine May series that they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. I have to watch Ishtar this week uh, to, to prep for the last episode. But um, so I watched Mikey and Nikki. Have you, uh, are you familiar with Mikey and Nikki? I am not. So it's 1976 um, it, it stars Peter Falk and John Cassavetes directed by Elaine May. And I think written by her, dude, this, this movie is it's okay. So her first two films are comedies, right? Like you have the new leaf, dark comedy, and then you have the heartbreak kid, which is kind of a dark comedy in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So I went into Mikey and Nikki expecting a comedy. And so I watched the entirety of the film and I kept waiting to like, I was laughing at scenes like, cause I'm like, okay, I guess that's kind of funny. But no, it's not. It's not a comedy um, at all, and it, it's that's it's like a buddy movie almost. It's exploring this like guy friendship of these gangsters, mm-hmm. okay. and it's okay. really it's really interesting. It's a, it's a gut. It's it's there's hard to watch sequences, um, and uh, it is on Criterion. I was actually able to watch it on HBO Max, um, but it's also on Prime. Like it's it's a it's available to watch. I, yeah. I, my understanding is there's three different cuts of the movie and I don't know what, like when I was watching on prime, it looked real rough. Like to me, like the quality of the, the, the picture was not very good. Yeah. When I went to, I, I ended up switching over to HBO max when I went to re like watch it in its entirety and it looked better to me. So I think the print that HBO max has might be the criterion print and maybe Amazon, Amazon had two different versions available to watch too. And that was the other thing that was throwing me off. I'm like, which one, is the good version. Why are there two available to watch for free with prime? And uh, so going to HBO max, I definitely feel like was the way to go. Um, but uh, apparently Elaine may Elaine may was notorious for like going over budget and like just using so much film stock. The, mm-hmm. the IMDb trivia for this and uh, blank check reference it, but she filmed over 12, one point, uh, 6 million feet of film or something like that. Like it's this insane (laughs) number for what ends up being a two hour movie. Um, like a normal two hour movie is like 11,000 feet. Like, so she like, there's so much footage that didn't get used because she would just let the camera run and let these two guys like, it's very naturalistic in a very hard to kind of deal with way. Um, but definitely worth checking out. Uh, I watched the box trolls for movie club. We actually delayed recording our episode this week because Corey was feeling a little under the weather and we haven't really taken a break. Uh, I don't think we've missed an episode of movie club in the four or five years that we've been doing it. You guys are consistent over there. Um, so we, we, we took a break this week, but we're going to do a double episode this week. We were, so uh, I had never seen box trolls and neither had Corey. Um, and that was the only like a film I'd never seen, but Corey had also has not seen missing link, which was already on the slate for this week. So it was like, Oh, we'll just do a double like a uh, episode. So we're going to mm-hmm. do box trolls and missing link together. Um, I enjoyed box trolls quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
actually a lot of people were like it's it's fine i liked it more than that i thought it was i thought it was really compelling i thought it uh it deals with some very interesting subject matter and of course mm-hmm. i i'm a big um I, I love simon Pegg and nick frost nick frost has a bigger role in this particular film uh neither the lead trout um also i, I i'm gonna say it i think l fanning the better of the fanning sisters i, I think l is a better actress and uh yes i the films that she's been in i found more I, i'm I, they appeal to me more same but I, yeah, that might be what it is too it might and so but both have done Leica films with mm-hmm. dakota being Coraline and l being in box trolls i like this movie more than Coraline. i know that's controversial i i think Coraline's fine it just never really resonated with me mm-hmm. um but my favorite Leica is without any hesitation kubo and the two strings oh, despite yes. the problematic nature of the, the casting like the casting is problematic yeah of course. But the movie's fantastic. Like I love that movie. Um it just hits me on like every note. Uh but um then I've watched two uh 1963 films in preparation for an upcoming episode of something. Um I watched no, Bye no, Bye no. Birdie which I you know I've always heard of Bye Bye Birdie. I knew nothing about. Uh I kind of went in knowing it was a musical but I wasn't sure and like within 5 seconds I realized that it was a movie that was clearly about Elvis Presley and not starring mm-hmm. Elvis Presley. Yeah. And so I like I I was like googling and like oh yeah I'm right. It was originally it was it was clearly a, a kind of parody of Elvis's like career and him getting drafted mm-hmm. and the fans reaction to that. And uh he had been asked and was uh, initially agreed to be the character and then his manager shut it down because it was like you can't be the parody version of yourself. <laughs> Um, cause that's like, that's too far. You're going to ruin your whole career. Um, and, uh, I, I really liked Bye Bye Birdie, uh, not, not tons, but a little bit, but then I watched Irma La Douche. Ooh, yes. Go on. So I am a big Billy Wilder fan from the movies that I've seen, which is not many. I've now I've seen four, um, but I enjoy his comedy. I am also a very big Jack Lemmon fan. The more yeah. I see of Jack Lemmon, the more I'm just like, I, I love this guy. He does just tremendous stuff. Um, this movie's great. My only, and I know we'll talk more in detail about it, but it is a little long for a comedy. It's two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think that's, you just, could, that's emblematic of the title. Some, so many yeah. of these films are so long, dude, the 63 top 10 is ridiculously long. Like the, the shortest movie I think is, is uh bye bye birdie or charade. They're both the only ones that are under two hours. <laughs> like, yep. I'm like mad, 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 mad world is like uh, two hours and 60 or two hours. Long, and, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, it's a comedy. Why is it so long? Comedies are supposed to be under 90 minutes. Like, it's 83 and we're out. That's the, the deal. Um, and I, do, I, guys. I think Irma LaDuce could be shortened, but I also do think it, it doesn't get stale um, despite it being a little long. I was like, oh, man, I really wish this was, was a little shorter. But um, I, I, I definitely uh, enjoyed the film. Um, it reteams the, the, the duo from the apartment, which I am also a huge fan of. Um, and yeah, Jack Lemon, dude, just, man, that guy cracks me up. Um, also the one thing I found really funny is I, I went into this prepared to read subtitles cause it's, I knew it was sent in France and everything. Yeah. Okay. The French characters mostly don't have an accent. Like they're just, they're just American speaking <laughs> French people. Yeah, it, it's like those classic old war films where all the Germans spoke English. Right. And I'm <laughs> saying Americans. I'm saying American speaking because there is a distinct difference of British speaking actors. Like there are uh, legitimate yeah. like British characters who have the British accent and then everyone else has an American English accent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they're speaking yeah, English with an American accent. 
but they're the French people. They're the native people of the area. So I was like, what's what's happening? Why what's going like, on here? Why, why um, did anyone pull this up at the time? But at the, at the same time, it's funny, and I, I I really I thought it was a really really good movie. Um, nice. I I'll save this the show that I've been watching for the very very end. But I've been playing some. Uh, I bought a gaming computer a couple weeks ago. Yep, and I've barely played any games. Um, so I made a, a, a concerted effort to try some games out this weekend. Um, in fact, I, I got to add one more. I played uh, some of these I've played for years, but on console. But I downloaded um, Halo: The Master Chief Collection. Uh, had a blast playing it on PC, although definitely better on it with a controller. Uh, still, I'm not used to the mouse and keyboard combination. Um, I played Dead by Daylight, which I've played several times on Xbox, and I enjoy that a lot on Xbox. I was so thrown by being on the PC. It was like, I'm not good at it normally. I was really bad at it on the PC. Keep on um, mouse. Yeah, it just I didn't know where any of the buttons were. Like it felt way harder to like to, to do things and um respect to people who can do that cuz it's not easy. I keep looking down. Yeah, uh and then um I played a game that was recommended to me called Valorant, which actually really was the first one I played that I was like I think this could be a lot of fun. It's got a vibe like Overwatch, which was a really popular uh, game a couple years ago. Um mm-hmm. as in like the characters and like you have specials like superpowers but then it ha- it plays more like old school like Counter Strike, where you like you start with br- everyone starts with basically the same gear. At least that's what I, that's the way I was taking it. And as you play through the match, you earn money in game that you can then buy better weapons. So like the next round, you can have a like a, a assault rifle or whatever that you mm-hmm. didn't have the first round. And um, I'm not good at it, but I had fun playing it. And then uh, last night, I played Doom Eternal, which is the most recent <sighs> Doom game. And I honestly thought it was going to be too stressful, and that's why I had avoided it. But it's included with the Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. And, uh, man, that game was a lot of fun. I was having a blast nice. last night. Um, just, it, it's one, because it's like Doom's the original shooter, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it negates certain things that I'm used to from other shooters. Like, you don't reload. The guns just reload. Like, if you have ammo, you can shoot it. And that was throwing me off at first, but then it just became fun. I'm like, well, I just can just keep smashing the shoot button. I don't have to have yeah, worry man. about reloading. Um, and so I was having a good time with it. Uh, it's, it's definitely challenging, but it didn't feel so challenging that I couldn't have fun. And I, I am playing at the lowest difficulty because I do not want, I wanted to have fun, not feel anxious while playing a video game. And once I got the feel for the controls and stuff, uh, I was having a blast and I, I did have to kind of cut it abruptly short, but I, the half hour or so that I played, I enjoyed I'm actually wanting to get back into that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend David's been really pushing me to try it because he's been playing it, and he's always been a big Doom fan. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I know he had uh, two video game records in like one of like the Nintendo magazines or something. I remember I, those books um, of the magazine. He had a Donkey Kong Country uh, record, and I think he had a Doom record um, where his name was in the magazine and stuff for, for uh, achieving it. So... He's he's always been a big Doom guy, um, and he is just really he got he waited to get to Eternal until now, but he's been uh, actively playing that, so it, it did make me give it a try, and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing, um, which this always seems to be our transition, is that we were both watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I watched episode five. Um, I liked it. I, I thought mm-hmm. there I, I, one. Uh, I do want to bring up TikTok for a minute. Um, I follow a, a lot of like, especially recently Marvel talk since wanda uh and wandavision i've just had tons of marvel analysis like people popping up on my tiktok yeah. um and straw hat goofy uh was one of them and from episode one of falcon and the winter soldier in fact what 
one of the things I noticed immediately about Falcon Winter Soldier that I liked was it was dealing with race implications inside of the MCU. And I thought that was really compelling and, and an interesting angle. And he was analyzing it that way as well. And people were like, why do you got to bring race into this? And he was accurately just like, what are you talking? It's on the surface, but fine if you don't see it that way. But they got racist towards him and it's ridiculous the hate he got. And episode five, without spoiling anything, it it removes any shadow of doubt that this is about race. Like it is like yeah. if you weren't sure, now you must be sure because there is no way you can if you are denying that this series is dealing with race implications, you are outright just ignoring the subject that the this episode in particular brings up. You were denying it for sure before. It was there. You were refusing to see it. This holds it up and says, look, this is what we're talking about. Yep. And so uh anyone who is berating Straw Hat Goofy is ridiculous anyways, but you should apologize mm-hmm. in every f- facet because my goodness. And I, I'm saying this, he is uh, definitely a TikToker that most people who use TikTok know at this point. I feel like he's on everybody's feed. And um, he started a podcast with another TikToker uh, that their podcast got immediately jumped up to like the top 10 on a- I- Apple mm-hmm. for uh for like comics and whatever. So like they're, they've made it a career basically now, I think at, uh, because of their TikTok status. So we might need to start TikToking Matt. but, um, <laughs> yeah, you are, t- you are a TikTok fiend. You said, you always send me the funny yeah. TikToks. So of, um, which of, of which I'm very grateful for, but my, my one criticism, and I'm going to throw a criticism at this. Uh, one of the most boring montage sequences of, tra- <laughs> of a person training that I can think of. There's some really yeah. good stuff in it. There's some cool elements in it, but just the way it was cut. And I like the thing that really got me. And I I brought this up to to my friend David when we were out running. I I didn't like that. They made it seem like that Falcon or Sam hadn't already been in shape. Like he's like Mm -hmm. panting. Like the dude was, he's been in Avenger. Yeah. He's not like he's out of shape. Like he can't start at the bottom. Like, or he's like, he can't run a mile. Are you kidding? We met him running. That's how we were introduced to Sam. God damn, I had a beer on the boat. Better go for a 10-mile run. Yeah, like, I'm like, guys, this is, you've, you've, I understand he needs to train, but not all of it. He doesn't need cardio. He needs to learn how to use the shield. That should be the only emphasis yeah. in this training montage. And I feel like that's, it's cut not well um, because of that. But that was my only real complaint. I loved the Bucky and, and Sam stuff. I thought, mm-hmm. like, that was so great. So definitely some really good stuff in this episode. What'd you think, Matt? Yeah, I enjoyed this one, dude. I thought it started strong. I thought it really did start strong. If, uh, again, we don't spoil, but how the, th- the last episode ended with uh, you probably see, you probably all seen it online anyway. But that one character who did something something bad, and yeah. our two heroes how they react to it. This one kicks off immediately after that, and it's a great opening scene. Really good opening scene. But uh, yeah, I thought the way they handled the handling these storylines are really sensitively done, whilst also quite powerfully done as well i think they're really i think they're nailing the writing in this and i'll say it again for the fifth episode in a row i didn't think i, I didn't think anything of this when it when it, when it was coming out uh, again eating that humble pie this is great man i'm really enjoying this um because they're nailing the character development i thought it again i thought it was two guys shooting things and making things blow up not really not really at all it's, it's the personal side of it it's the character development and the depth that they're giving these characters 
I'm 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 all for this, man. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think the way that the storylines that have been set up in five or the strands, sorry, that have been thrown out in this episode leads to a quite intriguing final episode coming up. Um, again, I hope I, I want to see how they can tie them all up or how many they leave open ended for other. Uh, MCU entities to pick up and run with, but I'm enjoying it though, dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this week's episode and seeing if they can stick the landing on this one as well. I hope they yeah. do more so than One Division, which we both dug. But I think we were both in agreement that the ending was a bit. It wasn't the ending wasn't as strong as we'd maybe yeah. hoped it would be. It was a little anticlimactic for sure. Yes, it's the best way to put it. And um, let me just push my glasses up um, and actually. Actually, in terms of the first 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 person shooter, it was a polygon game called Maze War in 1973. Sorry, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't just Google that, my friend. I, I really knew that myself. Um, yes, yeah. So I, I watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier episode five. I also watched the fifth episode of Invincible on Amazon Prime, and I'm digging that again. I'm still really enjoying that. Uh, I'm, another one which every episode just sets up the next one so well, and that's what I want. That, that's one of my that was one of my biggest bugbear of TV is that oh, I don't want to get committed to watching something, um, but when it's week on week, it's fine. And I thought, oh, what happens if it keeps dragging me in and I can't drop it? I've realised now that I'm like addicted to it. I love it, man. Like the, I love the idea of waking up on a Friday. I'm going to watch Invincible and I'm going to watch The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Great, I've got there's a, there's a couple of hours planned there of stuff I'm going to enjoy. So mm-hmm. really digging Invincible and the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I've been listening to a podcast. It's called Halloweenies. Uh, the Halloweenies podcast. It's a group of guys on the Consequence of Sound podcast network. And basically they had a, they they released monthly episodes. They've been doing it for the last few years um, where they cover a horror IP. So, so far it's been Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. So every month they'll talk in depth about one of the films. So, for example, the first episode would be I don't know, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Then the next month would be part two, so on and so forth until the end of the year. And if they run out of films, then they will bring in, they'll talk about the remakes, the reboots, or they'll get interviews with the talent involved. So, But I'm enjoying that an awful lot. Um, what struck me on it, I don't know how I found it. Oh, no, I do know how I found it. <clears throat> Last week, we covered Freddy versus Jason on NPM. Had a good time talking about that. Um, but I wonder, after releasing the episode, I, I thought, I actually, I wonder, and I don't usually do this. I wonder what other people, like other podcasters, are saying about this film. So, I Freddy versus Jason went to Spotify. Halloweenies pops up. I was like, yeah, it's an hour and a half. I, if it's good, that's an hour and a half I can get checked in with. And I, and I enjoyed the discussion. It's like a mix of, you know, it's it's you know, I say humor heavy, but it, it's a light podcast. But the the guys and girls also go heavy when they need to with story. They you know that they know their stuff. Um, and I was in. I was like, that's, this is cool. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what they thought about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. So I listened to that and I was like, uh, now I've got to watch the film to see. So I rewatched a Nightmare on Elm Street, oh, the 2010 man. Jackie O'Haley one. And what I got from their show was that the film itself isn't bad. It's just, it just exists in the universe and it just didn't change, didn't do anything new when it had the chance to do some quite interesting things, which what rewatching the film. Yes, there are some interesting things they could have done but also slightly problematic. Like mm-hmm. The idea that Freddy Krueger was innocent all along, but he is still a child molester, therefore should we really be rooting for him? Which is what the remakes, the, the sequels kind of did anyway. They made MTV Freddy, but 
there was a lot of things they could have done with a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake, but then casting Rooney Mara, who had, who had absolutely no intent or want to be there, didn't help. But so no, I watched a Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. I still like Jackie L. Haley f- f- for the most part. I still think he's good in that, and I've stick to that. I think that's my controversial horror opinion. He's good in that. I think he's great. He's not Robert England, but he's good. But the film yeah. itself is not great. But yeah, Halloween is podcast. Good fun if you like horror films. Um, I also watched, uh, as John mentioned, Rogue One on the sessions. We did a, a, a watch along for our patrons. We had, a, you know, with about at one point, a, about 28, 29 people on board. Just watching Rogue One, having a chat or just sitting there watching it, debating it and why it's the best Star Wars film of all time again. Don't come at me. Um, is my favourite one. Whether it's the best is a different story. My favourite one. Wow. Um, and I've started that before, man, because, again, best. I mean, you, you can't look past like, things like Empire and A New Hope Star Wars. You know, they're, they're the best. Like, cinematically, they, they are up there. There's a reason why they're revered. But Rogue One, I love the whole film. I know a lot of people have issues with the first half. They don't like the pacing or the lack of depth for the characters who are generally just meant to be the unknown soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the final third is, to, is everything I could want in Star Wars. Once again, you've got the space battle. You've got the in-atmosphere um, battle between the TIE strikers, the X-wings and the U-wings and the Y-wings and the bombers. In-atmosphere. You've got the ground battle, like the war, actual war on the ground, which felt like a war film. You've got the espionage to steal the plans. And it's all going on. It's all interconnected with itself. And and then, of course, it's topped off by our man Vader at the end. But it's just oh. everything I could want from a Star Wars film at the, at the end there. And the fact that the way they end that film, spoilers, you know, everybody dies. Great. I think it's just, it needed to happen, and they stuck it with that one. I don't think there's any other way they could have um, ended that film. But I, I seem to recall you thinking Rogue One was okay, was all right. Yeah, I... I... I liked it um, at the time. I didn't love it. Uh, I have not rewatched it, and uh, I've rewatched clips though. And there are things about it. I I really like K two S O. I thought he was so funny. Alan Tudyk just crushed that role. Um, and I I, th- I thought everyone was really cool. Uh, Jane Ursa was really cool. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not going to remember the blind Christy guy's name. Jones. Oh, uh, Chira Inway. Don't uh, I, I yes, I I love that character and the whole idea of that like force sensitive but not force using kind of thing mm-hmm. um and and i mean obviously there's some really cool stuff and uh ben mendelson is just always great Good old Mendo. Uh, yeah, yeah um so yeah no uh i do i i've been meaning to rewatch it i i was shocked to hear it as your favorite i i i do love empire but i also last jedi i am a, a huge a staunch like mm-hmm. defender of and i just think that Sweet movie man. is such a cinematic masterpiece, even if it's not a perfect star Wars film to some people's degree. I love what that movie did. I am a fan of subversion. I know there's a lot of people who argue that it doesn't subvert expectations. I disagree. Um, I especially think I disagree with the subversion of the hero. I think it does a terrific job of deconstructing what we think of as a hero versus what a leader Mm -hmm. is uh, with the Poe Dameron stuff. And um, so, uh, you know, but again, uh, Rogue One, um, I think part of my thing too is at the time I wasn't really into war movies. I've I've actually studied yeah. war films a lot more, and so I kind of want to revisit it just for that to kind of um, appreciate that element of it a little more. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, yeah. I, I said on the stream that because the, the question came up like we've got we've got Solo and Rogue One. You know why? You know what is it about this film that you prefer over Solo? And my answer was Solo's 
solo is a lot of fun, but it's a tick box exercise. You know, you, you go mm-hmm. into it, you know, you're going to, well, you're going to meet Han. You know, you're going to see Han meet Chewie. He's going to meet Lando. He's going to find the Falcon for the first time. He's going to win the Falcon. He's going to do the Kessler run. You know, we, you know, you're going to get that. So you're yeah. waiting for it. Whereas Rogue One, right, they get the plans. We, okay, so what else happens? I went in with no idea what they were going to do. Therefore, it, it, it surprised me when I saw it. It's like, this is great. Also, because I, it, it was a, di- it was different in the sense that, you know, like, so we knew what was happening with Solo. We, he could take Solo out of canon, and it didn't change anything. Again, not advocating that whatsoever. I enjoy Solo, but with Rogue One, took a risk as well. Rogue One is a risky film for them for Lucasfilm to release straight after the Force Awakens because there's no guarantee that this film was going to do well. And over a billion dollars later, it did do very, very, very well. Um, which I'm glad to see, and I'll talk more Rogue One shortly. But um, I also watched Rocky, the 76 version for the retrospectives in the next episode, talking about Rocky. Spoilers, I like Rocky an awful lot, even the bad ones, but I really do like that first one. And speaking of um, how we spoke about we did speak about this earlier on, Indy 4, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I watched that this week, my friend, for the first time since 2006 or whenever it was it came out. Uh, again, it's, we're covering it on NPM this week because of the Indiana Jones casting news recently. Uh, and Indy 4 is... Again, I watched it and I was like, you know, there are some bits in here which work. There's others which don't. But at the same time, it just... just it Like a nightmare on Elm Street to an extent. Indy 4 just exists for me. There's nothing there which, I'm like, which makes this great. The over-reliance on blue or green screen, whatever it is in the background, was horribly distracting um I, I couldn't tell if harrison ford was really in it or not there, there was just a lot of in that film which I mean, obviously everyone was a mutt uh shia LaBeouf and as well but uh, there was there was bits of it which i thought were quite good we know did, well, well were good but then there are other things like you know the, the vine scene and other things which haven't held up well and Indy 4 is it's it's in the four and uh are you a fan of that one man no, um, I <laughs> no. I don't think I've made it all the way through that movie. To be honest, I, I've watched it in chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, I but it's just never hooked me. And I am a, I'm a I love Raiders. Yeah. Um, as a kid, I loved Temple. It, it when I last tried to watch it, I one it's really too long, and then two, I it just didn't didn't pull me in like it did when I was a kid. And then uh, I have not watched Last Crusade since I was a kid, and I'm I've been meaning to revisit it. Um, I feel like I'm going to really appreciate it a lot because of the father son dynamic yeah. um, that, that I think as a kid, I, I don't, I don't feel like it would have landed on me as, as well. Um, but I loved Indiana Jones as a kid. Like I was, I wanted the, the, the whip and the fedora um, like real bad. Uh, yeah. So I was excited for Indy four and I, I am a Shia LaBeouf fan for the most part. Like I like a lot of his projects. Yeah. This one felt wrong like in every way like i don't think he should have been cast in that role um the decision making seems really off i am very curious to see what we're going to get with indy 5 um yes. especially with mangold behind it um yeah well, phoebe waller bridge maz mickelson are in yeah i i'm on board for that for sure um and i i i probably will try to revisit indy 4 again if i after i watch last crusade i might go to, to to crystal skull the thing about crystal skull that really throws me is they they pull like 
you know, they, they pull a clip from a, a original script from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they use what was going to be the time machine, essentially. Yeah. It, oh, it's like, time, yeah. yeah, it just feels like they were um, reaching to, to come up with something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel as thought out as the other movies. And uh, it's surprising when you when Lucas and Spielberg were both involved with four that you got what you got. Uh, I with with Lucas isn't by the time we get to the final finale of this film, I can see George Lucas and and Spielberg, Spielberg all over it based on like the paranormal, the alien side of it. But the look of it, the look of it is you know it's, you know it's got a Lucas feel to it, and the ending just blows. And yeah, spoiler, I got bored during it. It's not a bad film, but it's just some parts is boring. Um, so, but that's what we've been consuming for the last week. And all that, it all adds up to helping us to remain bloody awesome. But even heroes like us, we need to do, we need to take that extra step to stay bloody awesome. And sometimes it comes in the strangest of ways. So, John, how have you been staying bloody awesome this week? Well, I've refocused my uh, my dieting and my weight loss attempts, um, and I've added more protein to my diet uh, in, in nice. interesting ways. Um, I realized that I'd really like lessened the amount of protein that I was eating, and I, I've started following a bunch of dietitians on tiktok um and so i've been taking some of their tips and advice and making uh like i found this really cool uh kind of like pseudo dessert like you take greek yogurt like vanilla greek yogurt yep the powdered peanut butter and you do just like one serving of that Mm -hmm. um and then you have a choice of either using unsweetened cocoa powder or you can use like chocolate protein powder if you want to boost the protein but add a little bit more calories um and uh you mix that up and you get like a chocolatey peanut butter yogurt, um, and it feels like a chocolate pudding, um, basically. And yet, it's it's t- packed with protein. It's like twenty grams of protein. And so, um, my goal is to hit at least two hundred grams of protein each day. And so, I've done that for like the last four days. I've increased with that uh, my my workout, uh, not the frequency of my workout, but what I'm t- I, I've for the last six months I've not been doing targeted workouts. I've just been doing more like full body. Uh, HI, the HIT workouts where it's it's hype, it's cardio built into a muscle workout routine, but you're not really building mass at all. You're you're basically just like tuning your muscles to burn calories. So I am I've re added uh, elements to. It. I'm doing supersets, um, but I, I'm doing targeted muscle again. So I like I did biceps, triceps, and back on Sunday. Tonight I do shoulders and traps, and then on uh, Thursday I'll do chest and um, legs, and then. With each exercise, though, I'm pairing it with a cardio exercise. So, like, you do a set, and then you do a set of a cardio, and then you you double that uh, each time. So you're burning a lot of calories, and at the same time, you're actually building muscle mass. And so the the protein helps. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. Sweet. Uh, again, send me some of that motivation, or maybe uh, like food ideas. My way, my friend. I could really do with some of that. But um, my one was a bit a bit different this week. Um, uh, over on over on the well, as you know, I am based currently in Essex in the United Kingdom, so we're just uh, not far, fifteen miles of that, which is about twenty kilometers, fifteen kilometers outside of London. We're right on the doorstep of London, and in, with that, we are prime for getting some cool locations, some cool set locations. And then over the last recent times, myself and my co-host over on the sessions, Lukey Boy, came into the knowledge that the upcoming Andor show, the of Disney Plus, is filming right around the corner and i mean right around the corner here in oh, essex man. and nobody else seemed to know about this and we've got this information from uh, a source 
in and around the production, should we say. Um, and then it kind of snowballed where it was very vague, but when it, we we took a few steps here and a few steps there and eventually found and eventually f- realised that, yep, yeah, this Andor is filming in a refinery. It's a it's a it's a uh, abandoned warehouse, sorry, uh, power station, sorry, in Essex over here, um, which looks an awful lot like like Corellia from Solo at the beginning of Solo. It's that kind of mm. vibe it's got. I'm not saying it is that, but so we've been, so we've been there. We've been checking out, we've been scoping out, and speaking to a few people. Uh, some who were happy to see us, others who weren't. But we, but it is 110 percent there. Um, Diego was on set. Tony Gilroy was there. Um, so we've just been on there. It's the first and probably only time we're going to do anything like that because, you know, that's not that's not what we're about as a show. But when the information landed on our laps, we were like, well, it'd be stupid to not follow it up. Um, so that was fun, kind of being in and around the set. We were obviously from a distance and just like seeing how and seeing how things, how quickly things work and stuff being set up and like the and the facility. Like, uh, filming facility vehicles coming on, like the trailers being like zoomed in and eyewitnesses and that. So it was very exciting. So basically, it's been hanging about the like, set of the new Andor series, which is part of it was filmed around here. So again, not probably not going to happen again. So why not? And yeah, it's we, th- we thought we'd go and have a look at it. And I'm already excited for that show, and I'm even more excited for it now, my friend. Yeah, that's uh, I wasn't really aware of that show to be honest there's too many uh shows coming yeah, out so there is that um but i i'm intrigued uh it's cool that you got to, you got to do that though yep yeah no it's good it's not something we usually do but I, I, we wouldn't travel anywhere else to do it but the fact that it was my a few miles away so we'll see we'll, we'll, we'll go and have a look you know what's the what's the worst that could happen nothing but turned out there was something going on there so um, but that's how we've been staying bloody awesome we'd also love to know how you guys stay bloody awesome because it might give us some tips as well uh, and that wraps up this week's episode of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. So uh, we spoke about Code Advice, and we both recommended it. So go check it out. Next week, we're uh, treading a slightly different path, and we're going to be giving a non-spoiler review of Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat film, which looks surprisingly good. It's coming out next week, and we're going to be chatting about it. So if you want to hear what we think about it, Come and check us out next week. If you want to have a chat with us online, you can do. You can find the show. At, on Twitter at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. John, we're on Instagram. Where are we? Bloody awesome movie pod. That's all right. And if you're still zucking the bug on Facebook, we're at bloody awesome movie podcast. You can find me at what I watch tonight across all of the socials, including letterbox and what I watch tonight.co.uk. John, where can everyone find you? I'm at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms. Head over there now, guys. If you like what you've just heard, please do consider leaving us a good review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps the show grow, and five stars gets us out to even more people, and we're all film fans. We want to converse together. So if you do have a few seconds, we would absolutely love a good review from uh, you guys out there. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 